I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sinead, how do you feel about other people discovering your boy, Killian Murphy? Look, I'm pleased he's getting the recognition he deserves and has deserved Mm. for decades. Um, I just would like it noted for the record that I independently am the first person to have ever seen him in something. Um, you, you plucked him out of obscurity. I really did. And you championed him for so long. Uh-huh. And now the rest of the world's getting in on it. It's a little bit like, you know, where were you when we needed you? You know, now you're happy that he's getting <laughs> press and being in great movies, but, like, where were you when, it, when we went through the hard times, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like that video of RDJ saying, oh, now you're going to be in a big movie, you're going to be a big star, when he's been an actor and in big movies for years. It's a bit different, I guess, but... He's just comparing that to... About to win the Oscar and stuff is a bit different, but, you know. Yeah. But you were there first. Good work. I was. Thanks. Hi there, everybody. This is I Only Like You in Movies. My name is Lonnie. Her name is Sine. We've seen Oppenheimer, we've seen Barbie, we've given the rest of the world a bit of time to talk about it, think it through, but now for the definitive takes, they're coming now. Oppenheimer first. How are you, Sine? Oppenheimer for Maine, Barbie for dessert. Yes, I'm good, thank you. (laughs) We did it, didn't we? We did the whole Barbieheimer thing. The sheep. No, we're not. No. Here's what's happened. Everyone's like coming up with the idea of doing a double billing. Like, mm-hmm. it's this revolutionary thing. Uh, you and I have been doing double billings f- for over a decade. We love it's a true. two movies in one day situation. It's true. And it, it is, it's fun that's happened, though, I think. I think people totally enjoy the event of it all. Um, and to, getting people to the movies is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, did we do it the right way? Should it be Oppenheimer first or yeah. Barbie first? Um, we did it right? I think we did it the right way. I think, yeah. Mm. I'm not going to give anything away about a Barbie review, but I think mm, if I had okay. seen that first, I would have come into Oppenheimer with a different attitude. <laughs> right, okay. Um, yeah, but we we went all out. We didn't just see double billing, which like all these people are like, well, what are you going to see on the date? Both. Like, you can just see both. It's fine. They don't need to be in competition with each other. Um, I scored us tickets to IMAX in Melbourne, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is one of seven locations in the world that Oppenheimer is being played at an IMAX theatre. I sat in the queue, and much like other queues that I have sat in and not gotten anywhere (laughs) for, like, seven hours until... All everything sold out. I was in a lovely queue. I knew what number I was, and I waited for like maybe twenty minutes, and then I got my time, and I was able to pick my ticket, and we we did it. Once in a lifetime experience. 
And it was we we cut it pretty fine though because we almost didn't get a park at the IMAX theater. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Somehow Sine was able to to wheel our way into a park, the only park that was available there. But if we didn't get that park, we would have been like running to the cinema to get there on time, I think. Something magic happened when I went, like it was all full, and I just had this thought of like, just do one more lap. Mm. Just do one more lap of the upstairs. Otherwise, we'll have to try and find a park. And then I saw a lovely gentleman exiting the building. (laughs) And I was super cool about it when I stalked him. He knew what was happening. But, oh, my God. Yeah, I agree. We were very, very lucky. God, God looking out for us that day. Yes. Um, Interesting as well, we saw it during the day. We haven't had the day off that day. And the... The, the audience, very uni student, a lot of guys who dressed up in suits and it stuff. Was it was very uni student vibes, yes. <laughs> bit of bit of edgelord stuff maybe, but, you know, <laughs> that's been us in the past, I suppose, so that's all right. I speak for yourself. I don't think I've ever been an edgelord, so. No, well, like, you know, being really into movies and stuff, that's us. Yes. That's what I'm getting yeah. at. These guys doing it for the fun of the event, that was, that was what yeah. we were doing as well. The news was um, there. Yeah, it's fun. Channel it's cool 9 were there interviewing people. Yeah. I think it's maybe a bit much to say movies are back because these are very particular movies that were successful and they became a bit of a meme and everything like that. But you know, not but still, it's worth commenting on and it's a fun experience to be part of. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about the movie itself now? So maybe we've sort of gone through the the experience. Sure. What do you reckon? Loved it. Really. Killing his Oscar. Three hours. You, you don't love long movies. Lonnie. Listen, so I went into this going, it's three hours. I'm not going to last that long without a break or a snack or a little toilet run. And I was watching it and I was sort of like thinking, I was like, oh, okay, maybe like halfway through, I'll just keep it on my phone and then duck out to get some snacks and come back in. By the time I looked at my phone, the movie had half an hour to go. Mm. Like it did not feel long to me. I was surprised and I was like, oh, well, I can just make it the other half hour. That's fine. How yeah. how do some movies do that? When other movies, you're like, when does the end? Well, that's the real problem with long movies is when they're long and with uninteresting parts, they feel really long. Mm-hmm. And the same with a short movie can feel long too. But yes. That's what I think. It's about pacing, isn't it? It's about pacing. And I think some movies are bloated and they're, they're long for the sake of being long. Mm-hmm. That's why there's a bit of concern. And also, like, people compare that to watching, a, like, a binging a series or something on Netflix. But you can stop and have breaks during that binge if you want. I think it's we've the, also... the continued yeah. concentration you need for a long movie. I think we've also spoken about it before, but I remember reading something that's like, it's not equivalent because a show has three acts in mm-hmm. each episode. And they were talking about, is the catharsis that makes you feel like you're progressing and so if you're having that in quick succession you've had three cathartic moments it's much easier to watch those things rather than building up tension in your like body and mind Mm. for it to be you know relieved after two hours basically um but yeah i did not feel like this went for very long at all which is a testament to nolan it's a christopher nolan film well, actually, I was going to say the Christmas Nolan films, so of course, it's going to be good. But we all remember Tenet. So I don't know if that still stands. Well, he's a very good filmmaker, though, and he's had lots he's of success over the years. Yes. Tenet, I think, 
just didn't didn't quite work for us. No. The, the audio for one, <laughs> the sort of confusing plot and yeah, less exciting characterization and that. Didn't really know what people were doing or what they were doing it for. I remember very clearly that line the the whole world's gonna die, including my son. <laughs> Felt like very That was very funny. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Anyway, it's f- firing on all cylinders here. It's gripping mm-hmm. all the way through. It's classic Nolan having sort of uh different timelines playing out. He loves that. Um cutting in between. Um kind of felt a bit Aaron Sorkin like with the whole um mm-hmm. hearing and there's a Yes. That that sort of playing out um like it's action like an action movie really, but it's just like a, a legal hearing. Um, but yeah, that was interesting to see. And I think the the basis of the film, and where maybe the one thing I'd say about it is, it follows you know the first nuclear bomb test and all that program, the Manhattan Project. After the bomb goes off, you kind of feel like the movie should be ending, and it goes for a little bit longer after that. Yes. I agree. Did you feel that? Yeah, I okay. thought we were closer to the end. I think that's when I checked my phone. Right. And was like, we must be near the end then. And mm. I was like, oh, no, it's still a little bit to go. But I guess that's why it's called Oppenheimer. It's about him as a person and his reaction. It's not just, you know, can we build the bomb? Yes, we did. Here it is. Yeah, which I think I was coming into it thinking that's what mm. it would be. Um, I was less interested in the hearing side of the film. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, like I was more interested in the sort of real-time development of the bomb and, and his relationships at that time rather than the sort of addendum of the trial. Um, but that's just a personal thing. Like I just didn't find that as interesting to watch. Um, but knowing that it's based on the book American Prometheus and that book details all the trial stuff that seems to be a really key component in understanding and understanding Oppenheimer as a person I understand why it was included in the film um even if perhaps those sequences weren't as engaging as I hoped I I enjoy the trial stuff but I can see where you're coming from um it's classic American tale of like building up a hero Mm. and then tearing him down Mm -hmm. um and we both find that inter- that period of of communist suspicion quite interesting, yep. don't we? Mm-hmm. Especially in the Hollywood side, but just in general, they they won the war, but then got into the Cold War. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty terrible. Um, what do you think about these these people saying the movie is not sufficiently uh... um, you know, showing the other perspectives of that? I feel like it's called Oppenheimer and. If you watch this movie and think it's celebrating the man, I, I don't think you're watching the same movie as we are. Okay, yeah. Into... So mm. I have a couple of thoughts that we'll get to in Twitter Corner about this that surmise it more succinctly than I'm going to now. But similar to what we've been talking about recently, we're going to get on our high horse for a second. Media literacy. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. where is it? I can't find it anywhere. Um, I just... <sighs> Movies aren't always about good people. Sometimes people are complicated and do good and bad things and it's up to the audience to decide whether they're good or bad. I don't know how you could see that gym sequence, one of the most horrifying sequences ever put to film, and think that we're celebrating what's happened. Like, I 
again, I just, yeah, you've definitely seen a different movie to what I have. What well, what would they the have wanted? The movie itself is it's very critical of him. Yeah. I don't think there'd be any way to show the victims of, well, of the nuclear attacks in a way that could do it any justice. Because it's not about that. And I think that's part that's the point of part of the criticism about the, him mm-hmm. as a person, right? The movie is not about that because he never thought of that. If he was constantly thinking how would this impact people, it would make more sense to have, you know, infiltrating storylines or or, you know, cuts to the country or but that's not what the film is. The film is he was so single minded of getting this one thing that he didn't once stop and consider the actual human impact of the decisions he was making. And I think that I think, that is a choice in the film to not show that. I think it's worse than that. He didn't think about them until they were already dead. Yes, yes. And once he started doing that, too late. Yeah. He grew a conscience at the last minute and was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> and I think the film does show that it wasn't just one man doing this. He was... Yes. in charge of it all but he was leading a team and he was working for the government and then the the government loved him when they made made them look good but yeah. then as soon as he started questioning them he was um turned away and he took the fall really for everyone who was involved absolutely and that said he should have known better and he had people saying mm-hmm. this and he there are certain times when he could have grown a backbone and, and gone a different way but he didn't. And there's some vague thing about we should do it instead of Nazi Germany because they were also looking at this sort of nuclear weapon program. Yeah. So, yeah, it just can just show you how you can twist yourself into thinking you're doing the right thing um, for a greater good. I've been thinking about that moment a lot, like how he first came onto it because he was Jewish and um, it was about getting there before the Nazis, but it ended up not being for that war at all. It ended up being for a completely separate war of people that he didn't even consider. He was happy to kill Nazis, you know. He didn't realise that this next one would be targeting civilians. What I'd say to that is that he's um, the character played by David Krumholtz, who we always love Mm -hmm. in everything he does. He says that this sort of bomb will kill the just and unjust alike. There's no way to justly have an atomic yeah. weapon, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was thinking about that in terms of succession. In the finale, Uncle Ewan says, first do no harm, right? Mm-hmm. And this sort of hypothesis of if I don't do this, someone else would have being some sort of absolution for your sins and therefore you're not culpable. Maybe he should have let someone else do it then, you know? Like, mm. I, I don't think saying, well, if I hadn't done it, someone else would have, is necessarily absolution. Like, I, I yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I suppose it's better to have misgivings <sighs> afterwards and try to, to limit the scope and yeah. you know, speak out against it. But does that really matter to the people who've already died after you were no. in charge of the program that led to their deaths? A bit too late, huh? And not to mention starting off the, you know, the chain reaction they they talk that yeah. he, that the film ends on. There's no way in the world that humans should have this ability to destroy ourselves. Yet we no. have it now. You can't undo that. Yeah, 
I remember we saw um, just in line with people saying, you know, where was that perspective in in the film? There is a movie I saw um, that I'll have to link in the show notes because I can't recall the title at the moment, but it was about three um, Japanese men returning home to talk to the government about the bombings, um, which when I figure out what that is, I'll link in the show notes. And also you and I went to see a great movie, well, great movie, terrible movie, at Goma. That was a mockumentary style about nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Do you recall this? Um, which most horrific film, right? Like it, it really details um, the effects and how people died. And it wasn't just in one big explosion. It was over several days and a really painful, horrible death. And I remember us thinking, I think we said to each other that that should be compulsory viewing for any prime minister, president, king, whatever, whoever's in charge of your land, if they have access to nuclear weapons. Like you should have to be forced to watch what you're doing to people and understand that that's the choice that you're making if you have that ability. And I just also think it's so interesting that think about the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, they were America involved themselves, quote unquote, because they had weapons of mass destruction you know who else has weapons of mass destruction? America. You know who's the only people who have ever used it? Americans. Mm. So it's just this weird, like, self-centric thing where it's like no one else can have this thing. It's just mine. Um, well, the, the American acceptism and American yes. um, view of the world is that we're the good guys. We're the policemen of the world. So we should have all the we- all the. Yeah, power. but you can't have the weapons because we don't trust We're you and we don't know what you're doing everybody else. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. That documentary is called The War Game mm-hmm. and they call it a, a pseudo-documentary because um, it was it was a documentary about fictional events but it was kind of showing what would happen, you know? So yeah. the BBC wouldn't actually play it on TV even though they, they commissioned it. It <sighs> says here on Wikipedia... The effect of the film has been judged by the BBC to be too horrifying for the medium of broadcasting. Oh. It will, however, be shown to invited audiences. Yeah, it won the, won the Oscar in 1967. Yeah. The best documentary. Um, what do you think about that just in general, Sine? Like this, this movie is about such a subject, yet we're there watching it next to Barbie and you know achieving attainment from it. I mean, I suppose on one hand it's good to have films that do tackle weighty subjects and mm. make us think. And, you know, we're not necessarily going to be talking about nuclear war in 2023 without this film mm. coming out. And it maybe, maybe does give people pause. However, mm-hmm. a lot of victims, we've said before, that line about you can't depict war without being pro-war yeah. to a certain degree. I don't know if I agree with that statement. I think, sorry, I think I agree with it in terms of uh, Top Gun Maverick, right? But I don't think this film was pro-war. It's not even a war film, really, so there's not a fair comparison. not really. And I guess... Well, look, so interrupt, mm. maybe the comparison is, well, he's a genius, Mm. and no matter the the problem with what his, his actions were, we're still... By depicting him being so smart and yeah, amazing okay. and brilliant, maybe that's the comparison here. It's like, yeah, he did some bad stuff, but he felt so terrible about it afterwards. And 
Now, you know, you got to hand it to him. He's really smart. That could be the argument about is there some sort of yeah. moral culpability here? I think I'm reminded of a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure when it's coming out, our episode on Black Mirror. And there's a particular mm-hmm. episode there which sort of takes down, I don't know, Hollywood making these horrible movies about real people and the impact of, of real people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of disgusting that we're sitting there watching a movie about all these people who died. Um, but, or and, <laughs> art is a way that we process things as a culture as humans mm. like that's how we make sense of the world that's how we understand things and i don't think not showing it would have been a more moral decision i, I don't i don't see the it as a dichotomy i guess i see it as a as a mm. um multifaceted problem i i don't there's also levels of culpability, I guess. Like, I don't think we're as bad as Oppenheimer for sitting and watching a movie about what he did when he's the one who did it. Mm. Um, and also yeah. the government decided to do this. Like, the government decided to detonate the bomb. It wasn't him as a person. Yes, he created it with a lot of other scientists and engineers and amazingly smart people. Um, but again, that's, you know, they wanted him to take the fall for the entire mm entire thing um yeah i think that's more interesting conversation than yeah whether the film um did a good job in that but you need to engage with the film on its on its level and i think yeah sometimes we fall into that trap but i think we've <laughs> better recently hopefully mm. um the idea of like oh the film didn't do this so it's bad it's like well not necessarily the f- that can be true but also maybe you want a different film or those things will be covered in a different film but let's, let's engage with this film for what it did do yeah. Shall we go to the performances? Already Please. mentioned Killian. So I, it's, it's got to be his Oscar win, right? Absolutely. If he doesn't win... What are you going to do? Ride in the streets. That's what I want to do. Okay. Uh, he's phenomenal. He, The way that Nolan decided to cast him is he had the book American Prometheus on his desk when he was writing the script. And he looked mm-hmm. over and the cover is a picture of Oppenheimer he said with this cold blue-eyed stare and he went I know someone who can do that <laughs> Killian um I think it is insane that Killian Murphy had one almond a day he ate one almond a day for the entirety of the shoot because Oppenheimer is an emaciated kind of very thin man um and he spoke a lot about how like the angles of the clothing, the way the clothing fell on him mm. was a particular choice. Um, and so he wanted to be as thin as possible. And I always find it interesting. So he turned down every dinner invitation that the cast offered to him. <laughs> um, and when reading that, I was like, oh, he's probably so in the zone and like can't really get out of it too much. But I think also he wasn't eating. Like that was part of his his prep mm. for the characters. He wasn't eating at all. Like this is Christian Bale level of emaciation, like crazy, crazy transformation. Um, Do you think you could have two albums though? Like two albums a day. Seems, one <laughs> seems like why bother? You know what it reminds me of? Devil Wears Prada, Emily Blunt, who's also in this film, mm. where they're having a really toxic conversation about losing weight, and she says, "I'm just one stomach fold away from my goal weight," and her plan <laughs> is she doesn't eat anything unless she's about mm. to faint, and then she eats a cube of cheese. <laughs> 
So I was like, maybe could Killian have an almond for breakfast, an almond for lunch, and an almond for dinner? Maybe like would it make that much difference? <laughs> and also, who knows if that's true? You know, it could be, that could be something that's taken completely out of context. And it could have maybe for part of a shoot or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love though right. is Killian's disdain for Hollywood. <laughs> how much he absolutely hates the machine that is Hollywood. Mm. Such a quiet, like, reserved man who just wants to do really interesting work creatively and doesn't mm. want to really have to do the rest of it. I just... Well, he's, he's fallen in with a good person then, hasn't he? To be in so many Chris yes, Nolan films over the years. absolutely. And it's the R. Pat's reluctant hero sort of, do I even mm. want to be an actor? <laughs> feeling of... Yeah, well... Yeah. Well, he's so lucky that he's gotten to with Chris Nolan, who is like maybe the one, the mo- or at least maybe the most recent mm-hmm. director who can really bend Hollywood to his will. Yes. So yes, for they sure. work well together clearly. Yeah. Um, he spoke about their connection, like they worked on a lot of films together. Obviously, he was in Inception. Um, was he in Tenet? I think so. I think so. He was in the Batman films. Yes, obviously. Um, and just that they have like a complete shorthand on set that was quite um, not shocking for the other cast to watch, but it was like, oh my god, these guys are speaking like this like shorthand with each other because they've mm. worked together so much. And Killian, I've watched a lot of interviews with the cast and and the crew and Nolan, and Killian was saying Nolan has this ability to give a direction in the perfectly worded way. Um, an example that he gave was that he came into a scene and he was just a bit too hard, a bit too really angry about this. And Nolan's note was he's not a, I can't remember the thing, but basically he's not that kind of person. He's a chess player. And Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, okay, completely. That's the note I needed and I'm good. Um, And he also gave Killian the note of Oppenheimer as a person, as someone who dances in between the raindrops. Mm. which is an interestingly visual metaphor of how this character thinks. He, he Lobbenheim, the character as depicted, is like that. He's always trying to mm-hmm. sort of, he reaches to the highest levels of what the field he's in without really giving away too much of what he believes in himself. Like he hangs yeah. out with the communist but isn't really a communist. He, he, he backs down when he's pushed on certain things. Um, I, I think they, they did make out that he was a very good scientist, but I also got the thought that he wasn't the most amazing scientist, but he was kind of really good at getting all the other scientists to go along with what he was um, working on. Yeah, I find it interesting thinking about the way the film portrayed that in terms of um, there's the reveal that he was actually having an affair with that woman mm-hmm. at the end, like just offhand. And that for me, mm-hmm. I think the intention was to be like, oh, what you've shown us of this guy isn't all of this guy. It's very possible that he was a communist and we've just gone along because that's what he's saying he is. I think he was very skilled at having particular conversations with particular people and being able to manage interpersonal relationships. And I yeah, also up until he couldn't anymore. Up until basically. he couldn't, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. also think that like I think he was a highly intelligent person. I think sometimes those people, like he's he's a genius in in the sort of fundamental term, right? Like he has these wide, wild ideas of what to do and what he wants to do and he is obsessive, like that's all that his life is, is that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's hard again to know the difference between Oppenheimer, the real person, and Oppenheimer, the version of him that's in this film. 
um like that poisoned apple thing seems to have it just really threw me mm. <laughs> um i saw hank green tweet about it before the film was released because he is a scientist and knows oppenheimer's work obviously um and oppenheimer's son or grandson has come up recently saying that that's slander and like shouldn't have been included in the film but it's in american prometheus it's in the book and i think he might have tried to poison his teacher that's not the sign of a well person is it not at all they speak about that he had had to have a break from study or whatever to to get back on track yeah but in real life in real life it was sort of just hushed Mm. up and covered and he was just moved somewhere else quietly because his parents Mm. were high up in sorry stories all the time that yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know i find that really interesting um and also on that moment he was able to just avert the catastrophe yes but he wasn't able to do that later absolutely um sorry yes cast can we talk about emily blunt no we can't actually matt damon what are you we've got sure we can but seriously some of my all-time faves in this film why are you laughing at that no, I was just funny to say, no, you can't talk about it. Oh, you're laughing at your own joke. Okay, great. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, what do you think of, of Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer? I love Emily Blunt more than the regular person. I can feel, feel a butt coming up more here. More than is perhaps healthy. And the fact that she's with John Krasinski, the most perfect couple of all time. I didn't love her in it didn't love her in it i'm sorry i'm sorry true feelings are coming out aren't they i love her i just didn't feel it i just didn't feel it i didn't feel the relationship between her and killian Mm. it just it just didn't do it for me and i'm very sorry intentional you think though because he was really in love with bonnie bonnie yeah potentially yeah Mm. but i think i don't know Again, maybe it's expectations thing. Like her big takedown at the trial. Like I was thought the movie was building up to this sort of like big because she's sort of hounding Oppenheimer. Why aren't you sticking up for yourself? Why aren't mm-hmm. you calling them out on stuff? Why aren't you being more present in the hearings? Why are you just sitting there and letting them walk all over you? Mm-hmm. Which again was a technique. He was just trying to get through it, I think. Um, and I just thought we were building up to this bigger moment and that little moment she has of how many years ago, 16, 17 or whatever, I just felt a little flat for me, but I think that's because I felt like we were building up to something bigger than we were. I don't know. It seems like she's a really complicated person in real life and has a lot of issues as well. So I, I, I'm i sorry. There are three cats who are going absolutely ballistic in the next room. I don't know what's occurred. <laughs> um, so if you can hear that, that's what that is. Um, yeah. I, what did you think of her performance? I thought she did a good job, but you know it's a it's a recurring uh, downside to Christopher Nolan films where the female characters aren't written quite as well. Yeah, she's an alcoholic and she's nagging on him all the time. That's pretty much the extent of her character, isn't it? Like, mm. I still feel like she might win the Oscar though, just because. You reckon? She's in this film. Potentially. I I want her to win an Oscar. Absolutely. I just don't know mm-hmm. if this is the film for it. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, and it's a bit tough though, you know, to to say it's a badly written Christopher Nolan character again because it's based on true life and 
you know, yeah. I, I feel like that character was probably sidelined in the in the relationship in real life. So, you know, not necessarily creative decision there, but you know, trying to reflect what happened. Mm. But I didn't. Some people saying she was amazing, and then that, that, they they were saying that scene that you, you mentioned was like the the king hit of the film. But I don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, I guess. I just didn't. Yeah. Wasn't as on board. Matt Damon, one of your other favourites. What do you reckon? My OG. Um, loved him. I think it was an inspired choice casting him in that role. I don't know that I would have thought of that, but I think it was a good option. Mm-hmm. I love him. I am annoyed that his one sort of punchline was in the trailer, so I'd seen it many times, about the, the chance of them blowing up the atmosphere, which we haven't even touched on, by the way. They thought that there was a chance that this bomb could destroy the entire civilization, the entire world, and they still tested it. <laughs> yeah, they thought they might as well test. Just to, Let's just, just give it sure. a go, hey? Mm-hmm. Um, and his his line about near zero, I wish that I'd experienced that more in the moment. Mm-hmm. I Can I tell you a little behind the scenes thing? No. Stop. Just go for it. Just go for it. Fine. Okay. What am I supposed to say? I'm just trying to not like take over the podcast. I'm just trying to ask if that's the right direction that you want to go in. Sorry for being considerate. Um, The Nolan, no, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt live in the same building. And um, (laughs) Nolan went to, uh, he was there one day offering the part to Matt. And he, like, saw, I think, John Krasinski in the, like, lobby and they took the elevator together and they were talking about, like, filmmaking and stuff and directing and talking shop, basically. And Nolan said that he didn't want to, like, go to Matt Damon and offer him the role and then go to Emily Blunt down the hall and offer her her role because he thought that that would seem like he's treating it like a one-stop shop sort of thing. And so he waited days for no reason. (laughs) And then eventually, like, I think he texted... His wife, who helps produce the film, um, texted, like, Emily being like, hey, Chris wants to talk to you about being in his film. I just think that's really interesting that he, like, was worried that if he'd offered it to both of them on the same day that they might not want to take it or something. Um, just because it's convenient. <clears throat> yeah, he didn't want them here's, to get that opinion. <laughs> here's my question. Yeah. Why are they living in the same building? They're, they're besties. They I think sure it's... They have, don't they have their own houses? <laughs> yes. I Why think... are they in a condo? Stop. I think perhaps it's like... Do they in... go to the gym together, like the, okay. the shared pool? And the... I'll let you have your little spiel. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> I just don't know. What's the context? I, I have, a, like a, high I have a reason. If you'll let me talk. Okay. Yes. New York. <laughs> mm. Often these people have multiple homes and New York doesn't have a lot of space. And so people stay in apartment buildings and a really fancy apartment buildings, there's probably more than one important person who lives there. So I think this is great. And I also love the fact that um, John and Emily go on holidays with Matt Damon and his wife and his family as well. And I think that's really lovely that they love each other. Just putting your bins out on midnight and John Krasinski and They're Matt joking. Damon are also there. Yeah. So Matt and Emily were paired together for a lot of the press stuff and they were talking about this sort of stuff where Emily's like, it's funny to see you in shoes. You normally just wear slippers when you're taking the rubbish down and like that sort of thing and they're teasing each other, which I think is really lovely. Um, yeah. So loved Matt Damon. Who else we got? Yeah, Matt Damon, he just got that very genuine sort of steady hand in yeah. the role. Yeah. Um, 
and he's sort of playing guy he, he very clearly knows he doesn't have the the science to to keep up with these guys but he can he's doing his part in a different way mm-hmm. robert downey jr now i've seen a lot of people saying oh he's, he's back to form he's been he's been um just in the gutter for 10 years or 15 years doing iron man stuff you know he's finally an actor again uh, I'm like these people i thought everyone loved those movies <laughs> everyone hates all, all of a sudden we all never liked the most popular movies the last 20 years like what the i think hell? We're, we're being too cool for school and we have to pretend to not like it yeah. because it's you know like contrary i know it, it, it's it's pop cinema right and but he did a very good job as iron man like he he was his career was out and down, and now he then he recreated yeah. it and became a billion dollar star. Like, I think that's people forget that like he he didn't have a group mm. much left of a career. I think he's been it's, quite it's kind of it, yeah. You go. go. <laughs> I would say he just he he makes it look so easy. Yes, being the star of the you know most popular film franchise of all time, like people forget how hard that is and how mm. um and he's playing and he he's public persona i guess is very similar to yeah tony stark so that probably makes fun but I, I i do get the the love here that he's doing a a, a big budget um adult movie after doing you know the yeah. pop cinema superhero stuff but I, so some of it i think is, is damn with frank with faint praise because it wasn't like he was slumming it for so long. I think he enjoyed doing those movies and well, did a good job in them. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is I don't think he did because a lot of things have come out more recently that he said he really regrets being in them, that he felt like it, it made him unavailable to do other work and he was disillusioned with acting because he's like, towards the end, I was just in a box. Like when he's in the suit giving those lines of dialogue, he's like, I'm just in a box saying my lines. There's no actor for me to react off. There's It's not really acting. It's just repetition and and memorizing it essentially so i, I get that you did a whole bunch of them so it probably becomes less exciting yeah after you, i'm just saying i wonder if that criticism is based on recent comments from him saying he didn't like being in them and so i wonder if those are sort of like well we hated them because he didn't like being in them do you know what i mean like i think it's, it's a bit of we agree with you we were pretty cool because you were saying the same stuff you're saying yeah yeah Anyway, he was really good in this, and it was great to see him doing a different role. Hmm. I guess that's the other thing is, like, if you love Robert Downey Jr. as an actor, which, like, again, yeah, I guess people liked him before Iron Man, but it wasn't like no. <laughs> he, he had to create that career after losing it almost so many times. Yeah. Anyway, um, it is good to see him doing something different. Yeah. And he's very good in this. He is very good in it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
story ultimately <laughs> a story ultimately about the frail egos of men who want to be involved in discussions and think everything is about them when it might not be mm-hmm. i don't Again, know i think he i yeah. think he was very uh, aware of his shortcomings yes. and so tried to overcome them super highly sensitive of being called out do you reckon we needed the line from Einstein in the end about the chain reaction? Yeah, I think it was a shocking moment to end the movie on. Okay. Then I will have that opinion too. <laughs> no, you don't have to. I, I think it I think it sort of recontextualized everything kind of like Because he knew not it so going much into that... it? Is that what you mean? No, no I, I I don't no, he didn't know what after was going in, did he? I think he was, well, I guess so. He was warned, like, you might destroy the world. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm doing my best to stop that. But mm. Einstein's like, no, you already have. Or and he, he comes to realize, yeah, no matter what I do, I've doomed the world because of my actions and I should have known better. But I was blinded to that or I willfully ignored the warnings I had. Is it also partly that by the time I've inquired if it was possible... It's too late because I'm already know I'm going to go down the path of finding out whether it's possible or not. Yeah, but once once you know, you yeah. can't unknow. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a really good way to end the movie, and I think mm-hmm. that that's the way to end the movie to stop anyone thinking that perhaps this movie <laughs> yeah. was pro him going in it. Well, but turns out people have that opinion anyway, so you know. Well, to me, that feels like that's preconceived, or yeah, they. They just want to be the yeah, opposite of what the prevailing mm. opinion is, which is I'm sure, mm. but not as set, not really backed up by the movie, especially the movie's ending. No, that's true. And I, I think also I like the ending because it's like, well, once this power is available, mm-hmm. how can it not be used? And they talk about I don't I can't remember the quite term it is, but it's to do with determinism. But it's the idea, if you're given a a hammer, you will eventually find something to hit with it, right? Mm. You'll be in the search of a you'll be in, in search of a nail as soon as you get a hammer. Well, now we've got these bombs that can destroy cities, and you know, without much prompting, we could all be destroying each other. Is that inevitable now? Yeah, I have a deep fear. Let's turn this into a therapy session of someone like. North Korea bombing Australia because we had the Darwin bombings, which were horrible, but we haven't really had a lot of war at home in Australia. And I'm sort of like, that's going to happen at some point, right? Just probability wise. So I'm really terrified that that's going to happen. Potentially. It would depend on on everything, but yeah. We're, we're so far away. I'm not, not sure we're strategic in that point of view. That's what people say, but I, I just am still worried about it. Okay. What do you think of Fonny in the movie? I don't know. I I didn't feel the chemistry between her and Killian. So you like all the male actors, <laughs> but the female actors you're not so into. You can smell some misogyny on this me. podcast all of a sudden. Um, well, I didn't mind. I like, she's great. I love her so much. Dimly drawn again, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just don't think she was written really well. I didn't feel the chemistry between her and Killian. Like I just, I didn't feel anything there. 
I really the liked... The age gap, right, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Nothing to do with the age gap. Um, I... It felt a bit weird, but I, I, again, maybe a, a bit that's on purpose because yeah. she was from a totally different world to him and, and she was mean to him. Right? I guess he kind of liked that was the idea, but... Yeah, but yeah. she, like... Yeah, he's playing Oppenheimer over the span of his life. He plays Oppenheimer at, like, 17 and Oppenheimer at 50-whatever. So, mm -hmm. yeah, whatever. I like that when she was offered the part by Christopher Nolan, um, he asked to meet her. They went for, like, a drink or lunch together or whatever, and he kept apologizing. He's like, I have this part, but I'm really sorry. It might not be what you want right now because, you know, you're you're climbing the ranks and it's not a very big part. And so I'm, I'm really sorry. And if you don't want to take it, I completely understand. And she's like, oh, okay, that's all right. I have a think about it. And she said by the time she got home, she's like, well, what's the point? I know I'm going to take it. It's a Christian Nolan film. Um, mm. So I actually think it was really brave of her to make this choice as an actor to do what some people would see as regression and play a supporting role when she's sort of on this up and up as this rising star who can – as we've seen, hold her own as the main protagonist in a lot of films, Don't Worry Darling, um, a good person. Like, I think that's a really interesting choice. And she's like, it's Nolan. I would have played like a, a tree in the background, someone at the coffee shop. Like, obviously, I want to be a part of it. Do you, I, do you think, mm. sorry to interrupt, but do you think that maybe gives the character a bit too much weight given it's Florence Pugh? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the point of that character could have been made better, perhaps not having a, mm. a an as well-known actor playing it. But also, like, at the time of filming, she probably wasn't as big as she is now either. You know, like, they had a lot of mm. time doing special CGI stuff and whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I really liked the moment in the film where... <laughs> horrible sentence, where she kills herself... <laughs> Sorry, that's not what I meant to. I liked the hand. I liked the the idea of the hand holding her underwater, being mm. Oppenheimer's, but not Oppenheimer's. He's feeling morally yeah. responsible, right? Yeah, I and mean, there's also the suggestion that maybe, yeah, the government or the army were, yeah, were conscious of of you know leaks and. Her, her her status being like a blackmailable thing for Oppenheimer. So are they involved? Yeah. There's no evidence of that, but the speculation always when someone dies. Yeah. When they're involved with the famous figure, aren't they? Yeah. I think I always saw it as his hand though, rather than an mm. external person, because I think it was at a time where he was considering morally. his yeah, morally whether he was responsible for it or not. Well that's the whole film that he's doing shit and then feeling bad about it afterwards. Yeah. Too late by then, mate. Yeah. Just quickly, we, we could go through every cast member and be here for an hour or two, but Josh Hartnett having a bit of resurgence. We saw him in Black Mirror. Hello? Like, and also <laughs> getting someone who was in Pearl Harbor. Like, I, think, I think that's a bit of metacasting there as mm. well. No, he's, he's very good in this. Um, people have been saying online, it's probably in your Twitter corner, but Casey Affleck turns up as the devil for yes. one scene. Oh, my God, that terrified me. It terrified the pan around as well because it's like the camera's you hear his behind. voice and you're like, oh, is that? And then all of a sudden it is. Yeah, yeah. and the, the little pan, the little tracking shot where he's like revealed mm. to come out from behind Oppenheimer and it's like he is the most terrifying person. Like in the whole film. Ugh, yeah. oh, really great performance um, though. Rami Malek, we 
Um, we like him, but there's been some weird, weird choices in his career of late. But he has a very good scene, and I think I think it was a good reminder that he's actually a good actor. Yes, from, yeah. You know, he's also been in some, a small scene hmm. for him. Yeah, I, I, it's that classic thing. I think everyone just wants to be part of this this sort of yeah. film with Chris Nolan, so they'll take scale or whatever. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Branagh was here, and a bit of a reunion with him and um Killian for yeah. Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Um, Benny Safdie doing more acting as well as um directing mm. of late. Australia's own Jason Clark, um, playing a very good that guy, that asshole character. He's mm-hmm. the, the the prosecutor in the the faux trial. Uh, Albert Einstein as himself. Oh, great! Yep, nice that he came back from the dead to do that. <laughs> it's actually Tom Conti, but very like you, you don't think one second not Einstein, do you? No, <laughs> I don't. It'd be crazy, and a lot of lot of other um, male character actors who of um of different different ages. So we've got Dane DeHaan, Alden Einreich, uh, David Crumholtz, who mentioned Matthew Medine. Jack Quaid. Have you seen Jack Quaid in much stuff today? I don't know. I have to investigate. Dennis Quaid's son, Meg Ryan's son. Dennis Quaid is here. Yes, exactly. No one's going to get that. I got it. Thanks. No, he's in a lot of stuff recently. He's the easy part of the bongos in this. That was good. <laughs> um, anyway, I think, um, you know, it's a very much a dad movie, isn't it? Lots of dad actors. It is a dad movie, this. yeah. I think I... Am I a dad... <laughs> you like dad movies given that matt damon is exclusively in dad movies i think you're very much in the dad area aren't mm, you? i think i might be <laughs> what a realization to have on the podcast your dad never had a son but he had a dad <laughs> what <laughs> you heard me <laughs> That made perfect sense. I don't know. What you, I don't know what you can, you're questioning. And, and that's your your tw- uh, Twitter quote for the week. X quote for the week. There you go. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Should we go into Twitter corner while we mention it? No, I have other things to talk about. Oh, you have other things to say. Okay. The reveal. About being a dad. What's it like? Stop it. The reveal of JFK. Yeah, I thought that was fun. No. No, it was good. No. Very good. You're just doubling down because you know how much I hated it. It was awful. There's this young senator who's up and coming. They call him Kennedy. John <laughs> F. Kennedy. It's okay, the worst. you can't make, make it worse and then say it was bad. It wasn't that bad. That is, no. That is as bad as it was. No way. Um... I'll have more complaints about writing. Chris isn't great at writing dialogue, is he? I thought this was a pretty good one. Lonnie. All things considered. Really? No. You really think this was good? I think you, he just had you, that line you, about my concerns? son from Tenet. Well, I don't have an excerpt to give you. Okay. I just, I think that John was a bit of... <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Mm. I don't think it was that great. What did you think about the writing, the screenplay in first person? Yes, which is exactly what I was going to talk about next. Um, Interesting. All the actors have said that's the first time they've ever seen it. Obviously, we're taught in film school, never, ever do that. Um, But he said it's Oppenheimer's film. Everything is viewed through Oppenheimer's lens. Mm. Again, thinking about what the film does not cover, we're only seeing things that Oppenheimer is directly involved in. 
all from his perspective. Mm. You know, we're not we're not doing a sort of like uh-huh. omniscient narrator situation where we're sitting back. This is him and his experiences through this film. Um, I just find it really funny that we have had what were we talking about the other day? Oh, Succession, which puts so much um context i guess and direction on the page yeah where it's like they're feeling like this and maybe this actor maybe this character is feeling this in this moment and they give options don't they from yeah he's like maybe it's It's like maybe he does this maybe he does that but maybe not how is that a script but obviously it works and it's the best show on tv the last exactly right and it's something (laughs) that we were directly told not to do and same as this Uh as in first person so maybe film school maybe you're all not as maybe you're wrong maybe you're all wrong maybe not as connected as you thought you were (laughs) Um, it. I. I think that's totally true, and I, I. I think maybe we should have more options in screenplays to to depict that, and and maybe the the real mission of a screenplay is to show on the page what you'll see on the screen. So there's a bit more of that could be could be um, afforded to in the script. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's a good direction to go in. It's a bit different when you're Chris Nolan, you know, you know you're the best yeah. filmmaker of the 21st century, so you can do what you want. In succession too, I think HBO just in general, yes, can probably bend the rules and they give a lot more leeway season. to their showrunners and and directors mm. than other TV. Yeah, studios. but it makes me rethink about like stuff that, that we've written and mm. you know some of it's it's yeah, in terms of getting good marks or in terms of getting picked up or whatnot and you know the very dipping our toes into the the real creative world, mm. like maybe. They did suffer because we didn't put enough direction on the page. Maybe we've got to put more on there. Yeah. I always thought that was something I had to really struggle with when I was writing screenplays is that mm. I wanted to give more information, but I was told, no, that's not your place. But then I'm like, yeah. well, it's my idea though. <laughs> so why can't I, you know? I know. And yeah. I get the general thing is if you're doing it well, it doesn't matter. Like you exactly. break all the rules as long as it makes sense and it's the best way of depicting it. Yeah, but I think that's very good. I, I think um, I'm not huge into reading screenplays. I'm probably one not a very good writer, but I think <laughs> I always think I haven't seen the point necessarily. But these ones I, I do think will be very interesting yes. in and of themselves. You know. Yeah, I think I can definitely see us buying a succession um, script books mm-hmm. and, and having a flick through. Um, also, the choice to shoot on IMAX film with an IMAX camera. I liked that Nolan said to him that's the purest way. To experience a film because you're not limited by the frame um and i didn't realize how immersive it was until we were actually seeing it you can't see the edges of the frame at all you're just looking at a person mm. as if they're in front of you um it's pretty phenomenal that they're able to do that and make you not think that you're watching a film for some of it you know yeah i wouldn't be in the front row though that was really funny <laughs> the view that they had of everything yeah yeah um i do we just a question chris i'm not questioning your judgment did we need to detonate an actual bomb for the film did we need to do that it wasn't a big one was it oh it was just a little bomb that's fine then i just do we need to be detonating bombs to make movies i just don't think we need to it just makes me nervous. It, it, it wasn't a real atomic bomb, though. I know this. I'm just like, let's just be safe. Okay. Okay? That's my note. I, I think there are miniatures involved, too. Is that, is that okay if it's a little bomb? Well, how little? 
Didn't you? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. I, I, is it worth it? I just, I don't like the route that's heading that's down, That's the sort of thing CGI is probably good for. Bombs, yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. Bombs and guns after horrific things that have happened on sets mm. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, just a note, I did find it very funny that Oppenheimer's nickname was Oppie. Yeah. Did you also find that weird? Yeah, that was, that was funny. Why did they call him Oppie? And it happens really far, like, yeah. early in the movie. You're like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing here. We call him Oppie? Okay. He doesn't seem like an Oppie to me. Mm. I don't know if I'd, I'd have gone straight to Oppie. What would I have called him? I think I think Oppenheimer. I think it's just... Jaime? No. Probably not. Probably not. Um, I just wanted to talk about the gym sequence before we head over to Twitter Corner. I don't think I've ever seen in a film a sequence so horrifying while showing so little. Mm. Um, there's lots of these close-ups of people's mouths as they're clapping. There's him sort of spiralling. But nothing really happens until he steps and, and sees the corpse, I guess, that he he's put his mm-hmm. foot through. Just one person. Which is, Yeah. And the moment where he exits the gym and there's a guy there being sick and he has that moment of, oh, if you've, if you're sick and we were so far away from it being detonated, what does that mean about everyone else, you know, who was there? Yeah. Did you think he was sick because of the bomb or sick because of like... Alcohol and drinking and stuff. I initially I thought that, but then I was like, no, it's because of the way that Oppenheimer reacts to that. Of he pauses, like I don't know what else he could have been considering in that moment if it wasn't. Uh, I think he could be considering that, but I think the person himself could have just been sick after having a drink or something like that. Yeah, that could have just, but that prompted in his mind, oh my god, the sickness I've created in people. We're going to Twitter corner. X Um, corner, I call it. Don't you dare. Um, there's a lovely, one of those memes, it's like the artist and the art and the artist is Nolan and the art is Killian Murphy. And someone's quote tweeted that and said, sometimes a man struggles to write a good female character because his true soulmate is another man. True. Yes. Steven Soderbergh has said Oppenheim is incredible. He said it's a real accomplishment. Um, I read somewhere that Chris Nolan implied that this is the movie he's been building toward. And I think he's right. And I'm thrilled Mm -hmm. it's a massive hit. Um, and for context, Soderbergh gave Nolan his start in Hollywood um, for they worked on Insomnia, I think, together, and they're like good friends. So that's nice to see that. There you go. Hmm. That's happening. That I know Oppenheimer is old news now, but I finally saw it, and I just want to say I really loved when they were like a young senator trying to make a name for himself, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, like an MCU reveal. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> We don't need a little cameo like no i think it was good so what i love about christopher nolan writing we are fucking in his 150 page screenplay about quantum mechanics and the creation of the atomic bomb is how it defies pretty much everything i've ever learned in a screenwriting course <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then just so oppenheimer and media literacy really is at an all-time low if people saw this as in any way ambiguous Watches mm. Killian Murphy have a three-hour dissociative episode culminating in an unequivocal visualization of a worldwide doom and destruction, and then a quote, but he didn't make it clear enough that the bomb was bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like arguably heavy-handed in parts, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, people still committed to thinking it was not. A quote from yeah, clear enough. Nolan who said, if I could cast Killian Murphy in every film I ever do and just lean on him for the rest of my career, I'd be a happy man. And someone's saying, no one's stopping you, Christopher. Yeah, just do it. Like, let's let's do that, okay? The Oppenheimer line where the Secretary of War says not to bomb Kyoto because he honeymooned there was not in the script. James Remar improvised it based off his own research. And Nolan said it's a fantastically exciting moment where no one in the room knows how to react. I mm. thought that was a that stood out to me as the sort of, um, yeah, realisation of, oh, they're just making these decisions based on personal reasons. There's no actual, mm. like, politics here. It's all just whatever they want. The only historical inaccuracy that I noticed in Oppenheimer is when Oppenheimer learns the number of people who died in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Nolan uses the more accurate count of deaths that Japan did in the 70s rather than the count that the Americans did in the 40s, a very responsible change to make. Mm. Um, the movie doesn't get into it because it's not something that Oppenheimer was involved in, correct? But both the Japanese count and the American one are likely smaller than the actual number Japan didn't have a record of the number of people then, and both America and Japan had to use ration cards to count. Hmm. America's count also excludes potential military deaths and people who died after the bombings due to complications. In reality, the true number of deaths is unknowable, but the current count of roughly 220 to 250,000 people is backed up by solid data, which is just a quarter of a million people. Wow. Um, complete change of pace. <laughs> Nolan says he doesn't use ADR for his films, including Oppenheimer. Mm. I like to use the performance that was given in the moment rather than the actor revoice it later. A man after my own heart. Yeah, I mean, the only problem would be if you can't don't get it right the first time, but I guess just do that and you, you're fine. He yeah. also doesn't do reshoots, I've heard. Interesting. Mm. Okay. He's like, I filmed it this way. We're going to make it this We're going to release it this way. You're pretty confident in your abilities. You're not to do that, hey? Yeah, and me being a little, like, narky, is it easier for him to say that because he's a rich, straight white man? And if there was, like, a woman of colour or a person of colour wanting to make the same choice, would they be listened to in that way, you know? Or would they just be seen as being difficult? Who knows? Yeah, uh, I think it's more in the sense of, like, I think sometimes reshoots are like, oh, we we are changing the direction after we filmed it. So yeah, okay. but he's like, no, I've, my direction from or my intention from day one is going to be the same as it is at the end. Yeah, so that's there's good. no 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 way to I'd ever need to reshoot something mm. um, because I'm so confident in what we got. And now he also doesn't do deleted scenes. Apparently, he's like, it's in the script, it's in the film. Like, I love that don't though. Need, don't need to. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, someone said they once went to an event with Chris Nolan um, that a gang of Time Warner suits were proudly at and he proceeded to tell so many stories about how hard he had to fight them to make the Batman films including editing montages of other films to show their notes were wrong one specific mm -hmm. I recall was an argument over whether the Batmobile sequence was placed sorry where the Batmobile sequence was placed in Batman Begins the studio is somehow insisting that you can't have a, a car chase set piece in the middle of the movie so he made a tape of shots from the French Connection, etc., with time codes overlaid. <laughs> I love him being a petty bish. I'm here for that. Pretty funny. Another meme, Oppenheimer saying, oh, I'm having so many problems. What do you think I should do, Albert Einstein? Albert Einstein saying, you got to keep your chin up, brother. <laughs> he does. Um, good advice to get from Einstein. Mm -hmm. 
talking about Casey Affleck's little cameo, wildly unsettling segment. It feels like the devil wandered mm. into, into the movie for about three minutes. Genuinely mm. brilliant actor, utterly terrifying. Yep. There's a piece from The Atlantic, which I'll try and link. Um, it's it's about how moralizing art is damaging cultural criticism, um, especially using Oppenheimer to demonstrate no matter how it depicted the bombing, there's a reactionary take prime to argue for its failure. And I just want to read this because I think it's important to talk about what we were talking earlier. So it's, let's imagine that these complaints had been anticipated and addressed about not seeing the other side of, of the bomb. And let's imagine an entire subplot of a family going about their business in Hiroshima. We get to know and like them, to relate to them as our fellow human beings. Then, shockingly, they are incinerated by a nuclear blast. One can already hear the complaints. If the family were portrayed as too morally upstanding, it would be a dehumanizing portrayal that idealizes them as perfect victims. If they had moral flaws, the film would be subtly suggesting that they deserved their fate. And either way, the film would be attacked for offering up their suffering as a spectacle for our enjoyment. The same would go for the displaced population of Los Alamos. By portraying them as passive victims with no agency, critics would surely complain. The film would be reinscribing white authority. Absolutely. As we said, the movie's called Oppenheimer. It's written from his perspective and depicted from his, his perspective. And if, if there's a flaw that the film doesn't look into or consider the victims, that is the point. Yeah. Um, talking about the ending, there's a little picture from the, the script of that final scene between um, Oppenheimer and, and Albert Einstein. You know, chain reaction, I believe we started it. The final direction is really interesting. It's Einstein pales, turns, passing Strauss without a word, the sound of feet stamping. Close in on my staring eyes as I visualise the expanding nuclear arsenals of the world, the feet faster and faster. When I can take it no longer, I jam my eyes closed and we cut to black. Credits end. Ugh. Wow. Um, it's been a week. I guess in that, sorry, sorry yeah. in that in that moment, I think Einstein was also thinking he was part of the chain reaction before yeah. he, yeah, without even realizing it. Yeah, because I guess like if you contribute to science in any capacity, and that science is then relied upon to do something else, yes, you did contribute. You know, mm -hmm. it's not your fault, but you did contribute. That's the whole Prometheus thing, isn't it? Giving Absolutely. fire to humans. Yeah. yeah. Um, this person said it's been a week since I saw Oppenheimer and I've literally thought about the gymnasium scene every day since the Trinity test is a true feat of filmmaking in its own right but for me it's this moment that might be the best directed scene in Christopher Nolan's entire career mm. Oppenheimer's grandson said about the poison apple there's no record of him trying to kill somebody that's a really serious accusation and it's historical revision and someone said yeah we wouldn't want Oppenheimer associated with something that could kill somebody now would we which I thought was quite But funny. wasn't it in the book, though? That it's in the book. There's clearly some records of it. Yeah. I mean, fair enough if you're you're wanting to, you know, stick up for your yeah. ancestor, but don't. that seems like maybe... By all accounts, it seems to have happened, yeah. so... <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the wider point is like, oh, he didn't kill this, didn't try to kill this one guy. Yeah. Oh, he, he definitely was part of the other stuff, though, yeah, that led to 200,000 people dying. Yeah. yeah. There is, like, confusion, this person says, like, did it actually happen or should it be regarded as metaphorical? Um, mm. The poison apple story had been told many times in many different versions by Oppenheimer to his friends. 
that it led some of the authors of other Oppenheimer texts wonder if the tale was completely real, a hallucination, or some sort of myth-making on the part of the physicist. Interesting. Yeah, well, that that there could be records, but the records themselves could be yes, exactly. Hearsay, so, yeah, yeah sure. interesting. Hey, so maybe that's what. Maybe you know what? Your grandson's right. <laughs> um, someone said, "Stop now! I have a postcard at scene. <laughs> You're living in it, baby." <laughs> Says mm. this person. Yeah, it's uh This person said, "Why didn't Oppenheimer show what the bomb did?" Check it out. There are decades worth of movies depicting that exact topic and the mm. most bleakly horrifying ones are animated for kids and there's a scene from a film called Barefoot Gen um, which shows the nuclear bomb which I will also link in the show notes if people want to track that down and watch it. Um, and this is the thing. like, It's not like this movie is the only movie that can ever be made about like... Um, yeah, why don't this film do everything? Bomb. Well, not every film can do everything. No, and also I feel like more than one film can be made about the same topic from a different perspective, mm. you know? It's not a failure of this. They should. Yeah. Yes, and they should. It's not a failure of this film to not show it, and it's not a failure of a film that focuses on the deaths to not show Oppenheimer either, you know? Mm. Um, this person said, Oppenheimer hitting a wild $200 million in five days reinforces my steadfast belief that audiences aren't stupid and to the contrary, love good or even challenging films when they are provided with the means and reason to see them. We pray Hollywood takes the right lessons from this. Mm. Mm, don't know, but we'll see. I'm really enjoying the current phase of Matt Damon's career where he's just making banger after banger in the category of dad movies. Screenshots, Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. Air. Don't know what the other That's... one is. Four versus Ferrari, maybe we've seen that. And someone where he's got a beard and he's in a medieval time. The last year, I didn't see it myself. Um, it's crazy to think that this was made in a budget of $100 million, mm -hmm. which should probably be like the maximum movie should be made for, right? If you can't do it in $100 million, don't bother. Yeah. But like, wasn't um, Indiana Jones like three times that? Yeah. Someone said Barbie and Oppenheimer yeah. combined cost less than Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. Someone's <laughs> making a lot of money out of these. That <laughs> I don't think it's the people. Money, they? Yeah, yeah. It should be. Um, one thing in and maybe they're stealing sorry. it like without being illegal, but they're like, yeah, it can't be that much money, surely. Surely, one thing in Oppenheimer I haven't been able to get out of my head is the, that brief insert of black gloves and that one flashback with Florence Pugh. Nolan was really in his horror mode, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan says he prefers DVDs or Blu rays to streaming, there's much mm -hmm. less compression, we control the color, brightness, and all these things. Streaming is like broadcasting a film. We don't have much control on how it goes out. Again, man after our own heart. Um, someone said, I haven't had enough praise for Ludwig Göransson's score for Oppenheimer. Listening on a loop all weekend. It's ethereal and transcendent and profoundly affecting. I hope Ludwig comes with Nolan's go-to guy moving forward. He's so much more dynamic than Zimmer has been in years. Huge call, mm -hmm. but interesting. Um, Josh Hartnett, you were mentioning... Nolan somehow got Hartnett to radiate the same energy as prime era Kevin Costner or Richard Gere. How the hell do they pull mm -hmm. that shit off? Yes. And I remember you mentioned when we spoke about him in Black Mirror that they're using his like classic Hollywood good all looks. American. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All American spirit in a different way, which I think is really fascinating. Um, yeah, because he's not, not quite a villain, but not quite a good guy in this either, is he? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a film of good guys and bad guys, of course, but... No. 
Um, Oppenheimer, I am a mentally unstable pariah with blood on my hands. I cheat on my wife. My inability to firmly stake out an ideological stance will alienate, alienate me from both the government and my communist pals. I doomed the world. Twitter, why did this movie glorify him so much? Mm. Yeah. The sequence in Oppenheimer with the room cheering and applauding, that's a gym sequence, for five minutes straight was the scariest, most horrifying thing I've ever seen in a movie theater. I didn't even realize I was crying until I wiped my face. <sighs> wow. What did you think of the people who clapped the movie after it finished in no, our screening? No, it. I hate it so much. It really, it's one of the things that just, like, it just irks me in the worst way. They can't hear you. Christopher Nolan is not here. None of the filmmakers are here. None of the actors are here. Are you applauding the projectionist? Sure. They did a great job. They but they're not, though. Good. They're applauding they because be, it's a good movie. They should movie. be clapping. The, the, everybody works at the cinema. I just feel like putting on the show. clapping as a communal experience is something we do for another person so that they can see that we're appreciative. There's it's no, weird, though, isn't it, clapping? There's no camera that's, like, going to take a picture of that and send it to Christopher Nolan so he can go, oh, thanks, guys. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's just, it's just us. It's just us in the room. We're Maybe all watching we're the movie. each other for being here mm. and being part of but this But we're experience. not, are we? We're not. <laughs> um, a couple more. WB decided to be petty against Nolan by scheduling their event movie of the summer against his R-rated three-hour biopic. And as a direct result, they have inadvertently given him the biggest non-Batman opening of his career. Mm. The man just keeps finding crazy new ways to win. I don't know if that... Was that a conscious choice by WB to... to um, Warner Brothers, sorry, to schedule Barbie at the same time thinking that they would top him like I, I imagine it was a counter-programming aspect and he left them in a half and made public you know disparaging comments about them when he left them a couple of years ago so I think they could be in part of that I, I don't think they would ever come out and say yeah we would try to screw over Chris Nolan but that could be part of the strategy for sure yeah um person said i just saw oppenheimer an in-depth character exploration of the people who built the atomic bomb a weapon of mass destruction that killed a quarter of a million japanese civilians the film is three hours long and features zero japanese people there's context to this because stupid head in his petty wants to verify stuff actually implemented a great tool which is context to tweets to tell whether they're fake news or misinformation or not and the context was the film Oppenheimer is a biographical drama based entirely on the life of the physicist Robert Oppenheimer. There are no records of him ever meeting a Japanese person, so it would not mm. make sense to create such a scene as the project is a biopic, not a work of fiction. Touche. Yeah, I, I, I can't find that choice anything but the correct one to not depict Japan at all because of that, as we've been saying time and time again today, it, that, that is the point of the film was that it was all theoretical to him. Yeah. And it's not it's not that simple. It's, well, on stage they say he's not very good in the lab. He, mm -hmm. He's actually, yeah. he's all theory, he's no action. Like <laughs> the film's hitting over the head saying mm -hmm. it's all in the mind for him. Yeah. And he got sort of caught up in the whether he could or not, whether he should. Yes, absolutely. I'm just going to leave us off on this one, which is, Oppenheimer trusts the viewer to be an adult and understand that it's designed to be a troubling film about subject matter that should get under your skin, about people whose contradictions should upset you. This is my polite way of wishing more people would act like adults. Yeah. It's 
And also, like, yeah, someone said that it perpetuates white supremacy. And they say, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Did audiences expect to watch the bombs drop and watch people be roasted alive? Like, is that what you wanted? Like, I just can't. I I think some people did want to see that. I think there is a... A, no. <laughs> a ghoulish aspect to people who who think that was what the film should have done. Yeah, well, don't listen to this podcast because we have fundamentally different ideologies then. Hmm. All right. Should no we... Michael Caine today for the first time in <gasps> years, years and years. What's he done? For Christopher Nolan. Do they have I a falling f- out? Are they okay? <laughs> What's the drama? I think he should have played um, Einstein personally. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been hilarious. No, he's he's ninety years old, so I imagine he's just winding know, down. Yeah, winding down. Yeah. Nice. All right, <laughs> what are you going to rate this troubling film? I'm going to say it's five stars for me. Yeah, I think same for me. I don't think there's anything I would change. Um, and even the bits that I didn't like personally love, I understood why they were there for narrative yeah, or character it's, it's reasons. It's an absolute achievement and the fact that it got caught up in this cultural event with, with Barbie is kind yeah, of yeah. fascinating. Not what not something you can really expect. It just sort of happened. Yeah. But it's gonna sleep the Oscars next year, I believe. So. so what are your predictions? Best picture? Best picture, best director, best adaptive screenplay. Um Actor for him. Actor probably I I don't know if she'd been she might be supporting actress Emily Blunt, probably. Because mm-hmm. I think Margot might win for Barbie. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what else comes out. Okay. Yep. It's a good place to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. That's been a very comprehensive review of Oppenheimer. It's got all the correct opinions. If you are interested in what you should think about this, just just know what we think is correct. Just listen to what we said and then memorize yep. it and then repeat that in your friendship <laughs> groups. Um. But I think we have we've we've dived as deep as we can as viewers of this film. Mm. Um, but you can you can lose many hours to um, the internet and to documentaries and other films to do with nuclear war. Mm-hmm. I think we've both been there at times. It's it's hard to to get out of that once you start thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible and awful and horrendous and mm. horrific. Yeah, art is a way we can deal with those feelings yeah all right well thank you very much for listening we are on x for the time being god i hate that we are we are i've never why everyone's got a favorite number right everyone's got a favorite number to be like so obsessed with a letter sorry no I'm not going to go into that. Okay. okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You can catch up our previous episodes and our upcoming episodes on your podcast feed. Until then, we'll see you at the movies and goodbye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.